God, thank you for this group and the gift that they are to Tammy and I. And through the years, how you've encouraged us through them and humbled us and have given us the great grace of watching them love Christ more and grow together and to make much of Jesus in their lives. I pray that you continue to be gracious to us in that way. I thank you for their generosity. I thank you for their um, joy. And even though uh, from time to time they've gone through hard things and we've gone through hard things, we've worked through it together and we've seen the glorious beauty of the gospel um, displayed in the lives of your people. And I pray that you continue to do that. And as we take up this morning another one of the great Reformation doctrines, the one that the Reformers said the church stood or, or fell by, justification by faith alone, I pray that you would once again impress upon us the beauty and the worth of Christ, that He's enough in every area of life. Would you do that which only you can do, which is to warm our hearts to the beauty of Jesus this morning? It's in His name we pray. Amen. All right, we are uh, going to go through, we're gonna, I know it's middle of the month and I've been saying we're going to do it at the end of the month, but because of, of uh, Christmas coming up, we're not going to have Sunday school on Christmas morning, even though church will be happening, we're going to delay the, the start of things. So I wanted to go ahead and take up um, the third of the five solas that, that, that we've been working through once a month. And this one is sola fide or faith alone. And as I did with the others, I want to set out for you what the Reformers were facing when in this area, when, uh, when the Reformation was going on. What are some ways in which people attempt to make up for their sins by their actions? What are some ways we try to make up for them by our actions? Doesn't that really... Um, characterize every other religion but Christianity. I've done this. I've, I've got a deficit here. In order to make myself right with the deity or nirvana or whatever standard of perfection with the green movement, whatever, I've got to recycle more because I threw a can out on the road, whatever. Every religion has a, an element of human achievement. Uh, in Christianity, again, what the Reformers confirmed and renewed at the time was that Christianity is, a, is, a, is an understanding, a worldview of God's accomplishment through Christ, right? So we talked last week about the Roman Catholic idea of grace, or, or, or last, not last week, last time, about the Roman Catholic idea of grace as a, a substance to be infused. We're talking about the leaky bathtub idea where uh, they, they believed that grace was something that they were infused with at baptism and that through life as you sinned, you lost some of that grace and had to pour it back in through your merit or the merit of another saint's indulgences and that kind of thing. So you had this kind of, of uh, a penance that you'd have to pay to, to get your grace back, get your groove back, get your grace back. Um, and if you had a, a, a sin that was a mortal sin, like a murder or adultery or whatever, you, lost, you, you, got, you blew a hole in the bottom of the bathtub, you had no grace infused. And so you had to have this massive um, renewal of the substance of grace being infused. Uh, that's not 
uh, old theology for the Roman Catholics. That's today theology for the Roman Catholics. And just to give you a couple of, couple of their theologians, um, Dr. Ludwig Ott was a, I think he's, I don't know if he's still alive, but he, he was a, a big um, a theologian for the Roman Catholics for a while. He was quoted as saying, By his good works, the justified man really acquires a claim to supernatural reward from God. So the idea is, with your faith that is infused, you keep it at a certain level, you can really earn merit, you can really earn acceptance to enter heaven, and there it is. Be yay you, right? Uh, another uh, apologist, Carl Keating, says it this way, the Catholic Church, not surprisingly, understands justification differently. It sees it as a true eradication of sin and a true sanctification and renewal. The soul becomes objectively pleasing to God and so merits heaven. It merits heaven because now it is actually good. And so Catholic apologists will say, since God enables this through grace for us to work, He gives grace to, for us to, to, to take the sacraments of the church and apply them as merit to ourselves. They're going to say that, that um, the entire scheme is not work salvation. Our work is all of grace that we, by nature, now deserve heaven, but it's still of grace. So that's their end road. That, that's how they argue it's not. And, and what's to disagree with here? Don't we, don't we say some of the same stuff, that God's grace uh, allows us to grow into the image of Christ? Isn't that, is that similar? And this gets to the point, I think, a lot of times when we're talking with people like Mormons or Jehovah's Witness or Roman Catholics, that, that there's, we use a lot of the same language. But what do we mean? What do we mean when we say grace to a Catholic? What do we mean when we say faith to a Catholic? Or what do they mean when they say it to us? Uh, it's one thing to say that salvation cannot take place without grace, and another to say that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. Do you see the distinction? Yeah, God gives grace, but we got to work in the grace to earn the merit to go to heaven, to, to be with Him, to be reconciled to Him. It's another to say it's by grace He changes the heart and through faith alone we trust Him and are made right with Him. Um, in the first definition, grace is necessary, and here's that word. You know what? I forgot to give you something. There, there, I have things to keep your attention as I go on these long monologues, and it's called handouts. Can you pass these around? Thank you. Um, well, let me take the one on top, the one with the, the, yeah, there you go, if you wouldn't. It's not, yeah, it's got the answers, and there's a, you earn merit if you get the right answers uh, at the end of the, I'm just kidding, I'm Baptist. Um, so I've got the two quotes for you in there, Ludwig Ott and Carl Keating. Um, and it's one thing to say that salvation cannot take place without grace, and another to say that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. In the first instance, grace is necessary, but not sufficient. Grace is necessary, but not sufficient. In the second, grace is both necessary 
and sufficient. In the first, grace is necessary but not sufficient. In the second, grace is both necessary and sufficient. All right, we get on that? That's the first blank you have to fill to make sure everybody's... The blanks are sufficient. Sufficient and both. Because, you know, I have to make it pertinent. Uh, all right. In the Catholic view, God's grace initiates justification, but cannot complete it. It's not sufficient. Uh, or they would say that, that God may choose not to complete it that way, that, that He wants us working that way. It's our work to accomplish grace through good works. That's what a Catholic apologist will argue, a Catholic theologian will argue. And although the works themselves are enabled by grace, it is still our responsibility to do them to keep in grace and merit heaven. All right? Do you understand? Does that make sense? It's our responsibility to keep it going. We're like a mouse on a wheel. Every tenth rotation we get a pellet of grace, you know, or something. Um... I'm just trying to stay relevant with things that are going on. That's all. <laughs> Where does that leave a person? Where does that leave someone? If we're always on a treadmill, I don't know if I'm in his favor or not. Always on a treadmill. Always kind Uncertain. of exhausted. Tired. Uncertain. Uncertain. Always kind of like in debt to something. Always trying to have replenish. Always in debt. Always less than. Never satisfied. Never satisfied. Hopeless. 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 What's going to happen when I die? I, did I miss something? Right? Is it not enough? Uncertain of their internal destiny, for who can know where they stand? How can I know? In fact, the Counter-Reformation Council of Trent would affirm that justification can, can be gained and lost. Gained and lost. So when we talk about justification, what are we talking about? When we say, I'm, I'm throwing that word around like it's... Oh my gosh, Baptist. Just as if I'd never done it. Um, justification is, is, is the understanding of how we can be made right with God. Right? How am I justified before God? So they're talking about right standing before a holy and righteous God. Right? Which also means the metaphors of being adopted into his family, being grafted in, it means you can be unadopted. Right. Right. And that's not, just, that's not a Catholic distinction. There are some Protestants who hold to that, by the way, um, which is um, problematic. So this is the idea, this infused grace, this leaky grace, this, this I've got to keep it coming through my, my faith is I'm justified through not faith alone, but my works also have to be uh, at, at issue here. This is where Martin Luther found himself. Um, as he was lecturing through the Psalms and then through the Epistle to the Romans, and he's struggling through Romans 1.17, which says this, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for the power of God unto salvation. For in it... He, he continues that thought on. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so Luther asks himself, what does that mean? What does that mean? The righteousness, 
that is revealed by faith. What righteousness? Um, what does it mean that the righteous shall live by faith? And so in his study, Luther began to understand that this was a righteousness that God in His grace made available to those who would receive it passively by faith as opposed to the, the Roman Catholic version, which is actively in faith. They receive it actively because of their works, keeping the bathtub full. Um, and it was this passive receiving that made one reconciled to a holy and righteous God. It's one of the great arguments, I think, for committing ourselves thoroughly to studying Scripture and, and, to, and to diving in. And, and I know uh, Laura and the girls have been going through how to study Scripture and, 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 and doing that deeply. This is a great testimony to that because Martin Luther's study of just this, this section of Romans yielded an incredible uh, reformation of the church. Um, there was a linguistic issue in this verse because at the time, the Roman Catholic Church mandated that the only, if you could have a Bible, the only one you could have would be the Latin Vulgate version. And the word for righteousness here is a Latin word, justificare, justificare, right? So you have a compound word, justificare, justus meaning justice or righteousness, and ficare meaning to make, to make righteous. And so the Latin fathers said, because of the text that they had, they, they went this route of God making you righteous through the sacraments of the church. The righteousness, the making of one righteousness, uh, righteous to God is revealed from faith to faith. God's infusing, conti continuing to uh, allow you in His grace to work off your sin, to work for merit, right? Eustaphicare. Well, when Luther was teaching, he, he got a special grant or whatever to teach at, at, uh, at his school. And uh, he had access to the Greek New Testament. And he started studying the comparison between what, what the Latin version was, Eustaphicare, and the Greek there um, is, is uh, dikaios. And it didn't mean to make righteous. It meant to declare righteous. It meant to regard as righteous. To count as righteous. Words matter. Right? That's a, a huge gap. Words matter. Definitions matter. And it, and it was in this time that it dawned on Luther. Paul is not talking about the righteousness by which God himself is righteous. But a righteousness that God gives freely by His grace to people who don't have a righteousness of their own. It's not mine. I can't earn it. It's not my... I don't have it within myself to do this. He declares us. He counts it. He does a little uh, CPA thing where he says, I'm taking from one column and putting it to the other and counting it righteous. 
Luther called it, and we still use this phrase, an alien righteousness. A righteousness is foreign to me. I'm not made righteous in and of myself to deserve right standing with God. I'm declared righteous because of the finished work of Christ. And Luther, Luther would later write uh, about this study that he did and, the, and the, the illumination that he received there. When I discovered that, I was born again of the Holy Ghost and the doors of paradise swung open and I walked through, declared righteous. But of course, in response to Luther's discovery, uh, the, the doctrine uh, uh, of justification by faith alone was um, attacked by the Roman Catholics. The Council of Trent would write this, If anyone says that the justice received is not preserved and also not increased before God through good works, but that those works are merely the fruits and signs of justification obtained, but not the cause of its increase, let him be anathema. You see that? You're, you're working toward salvation. It's not your good works are not a result of your salvation. So there's a difference. And this hasn't been recanted. And, it, and they can't because you know, they speak... From the, it's canon. Canon law doesn't change. The church has been the same for 2,000 years, even though we add to it. Uh, I think MacArthur has described it as like barnacles get on the bottom of a ship, they never get scraped off. And so you have these add-ons, uh, which I think it's a great analogy there. So justification is said to be an act of God as judge, wherein he declares the believer is righteous. I had a great uh, question uh, when we were at the boys' home, and it's mirrored here in this next question. How is that righteous of God to simply declare sinners to be right with Him? How can He do that? How can He have a king like David who commits murder and adultery and not execute him under Levitical law? How? Because there's a substitute. Because there's a substitute. Because there's a perfect substitute who's intervened. Right? We're justified on the basis of Christ's finished work in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. We're justified on the basis of Christ's work. How do we receive it? By faith. Not through working. Not, not through... Uh, running on the, the little mouse wheel, we receive it by faith. Faith is the instrument, the means of appropriating or taking our possession or our justification. Let's look at John 3 real quick. I know we're running a little long on time. John 3, 16 through 18. If you are reformed, and I pray that you are, this verse should not scare you. It's in the Bible. I believe it. I embrace it. I love it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish 
but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. What's God's action here? What does He do? Sunday school answer. He sends Jesus, right? That's his action. He sends Son. Why does he do it? Because he loves the world. God loves. He's a person. He's not some, you know, aloof, non-caring. He acts out of compassion and love for the world. He loved the world, that the world might be saved through him. And literally in the Greek it says, all the believing ones would not be condemned. Now that's significant for another argument at another time. But he's doing this so that those who believe would not be condemned. What's our response? What's our response? Believe. Not get on the treadmill. Believe. Eternal life through belief, faith or trusting is another, another way to say that. Belief alone in Christ. The one who by faith is righteous will live. That was Luther's understanding of Romans 1.17. The one who by faith is righteous will live. We're declared righteous by faith. In what are we placing our faith? In whom? I'll, I'll hint to the answer. Sunday school? Jesus. Jesus. Notice it's not just I'm saved because I have awesome faith in faith. Oh, he's very sincere. You mean sincere about stupid. And you end up with stupid, right? There has to be an object of the faith. And that's in Christ alone, which we'll, we'll take up next time we do this. Faith is not just a bare intellectual assent to the facts of the gospel. It is a faith that results in the person believing and resting on Christ and His righteousness. Um, some have described it as the empty hand of faith. I'm a beggar. I trust that He'll give me what I need. That He's enough. The empty hand of faith. Um, He imputes righteousness to the believer. He doesn't infuse it where we can leak it away through sin, or, or he doesn't impart it where we can drop it through our sloppiness. Instead, he credits to our account the righteousness of another so that he is right and proper and looking at us and saying, this one is righteous. I'm at peace with this one. It's done. It's finished. And it's through faith. Trusting Him. Notice that faith is the only is only the instrument and not the basis of our justification. The basis, the reason we're saved is Christ. Faith is merely the instrument by which it comes to us. There's a distinction there. We are not justified because we believe. We are justified through belief. Through believing, 
through trusting. That's not what justifies. Christ justifies us. Okay, does that make sense? Yes? Faith being the means, some of the confessions say the appropriating organ, which I found an interesting phrase. Some of the confessions call it appropriating organ which, which, by which justification comes. Faith is the, is the means by which justification comes. All right, so you have um, this wonderful document. Uh, in 1689, it's finally been able to be promoted and produced because um, of uh, the, the, the lifting of persecution by Anglicans um, in England. The 1689 Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. It's a long name for a document. We just call it 1689. Um, it says this. Yes, it was a ripoff of Westminster. I understand that. But still, it's a great document. All right. Faith thus receiving and resting on Christ and His righteousness is the alone instrument of justification. Yet, it is not alone in the person justified, but is ever accompanied with all other saving graces, and is no dead faith, but worketh by love. I had to get the if in there, the worketh, because otherwise you wouldn't believe me that's from 1689. So we understand, and the Reformers understood, that though faith is a gift from God, and that it is passively receiving what God has done for us in Jesus, it's not a faith, it's by faith alone that we receive it, but it's not a faith that is alone, right? Faith in what Christ has done should result in a changed, a changed heart. Um, if, we receive if we receive salvation by grace through faith, then does this mean that we are no longer accountable for our actions? Look at James 2. James 2, starting in, uh, in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? What's the answer implicit there? No. no. Why? Why won't that save him? I'm being passive. I trusted. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. What does that mean? If, 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 if the faith that we receive Christ with doesn't transform the heart, and we're not seeing a growth, and not per, again, I'm not talking about perfectionism. I'm talking about a growth in looking more and more like Jesus. It's a, it's, if I had a, a whiteboard in here, like I did many, many moons ago, uh, I, I, I would do this, <laughs> right? And we'd follow the high valley, you know, the high mountain parts. The trend line goes up, you know, of looking more and more like Jesus. But there are valleys. We all have them. We all have a coldness that sometimes seeps in and we're not uh, loving Jesus like we should. God rescue us from those moments, but they do happen. But it's not a dead faith. I, I recommend to you in those valleys, I recommend Richard Sibbs. <laughs> Just go there. Um, good stuff. All right. Anyway, so you have uh, uh, James 2.14. Let's, let's finish that out. Uh, 
Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, it is, if it does not have works, is dead. In other words, it's not the right faith. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Because it's always good to split those things. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was, a, was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. What is he saying? He's saying that Abraham trusted God and the promises of God in Genesis 2, or 12, Genesis 12. Is that right? Yes. And, and then later, when chapter 17 rolls around, we see the expression of that and that he was trusting God so much that he's willing to sacrifice his own son because God said, do this. And, and, and Hebrews says, trusting that God would even raise him from the dead. That's the, that's the faith that we see justified to us because we see the physical working of that out. But he was justified before God back in 12 when he trusted God for the promise. But there was a trend line. And boy, did Abraham have some valleys. But there's a trend line. That's what James is talking about here. Um, when we speak of faith alone, we don't mean dead faith alone. Uh, Ephesians 2 and Titus 3 kinds of faith always result in good works, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him, it says in Ephesians 1. There's a, there's a trend line toward looking like Jesus. Justification, while distinct from sanctification, cannot possibly be separated from it. In, in Roman Catholic theology, justification and sanctification are, synony are syn synonyms. Synonyms. They're synonyms. But the Protestant understanding is that, is that a very important distinction is made between the two. God changes us in regeneration and sanctification. God declares us righteous in justification. Anyone who is justified will be sanctified. Romans 8 no, it's not possible to separate, but it's crucial to distinguish them. Paul says in Romans 5.1, having been justified by faith, right? That's a past tense thing. It cannot be undone or destroyed by the actions of any man, including ourselves. When, when we have trusted in Jesus, and it's confirmed and we're assured again and again by are wanting to honor Him rather than grasp fleeting pleasures of sin. When we're seeing a trend line there, that assures us that doesn't save us. We're saved by what Jesus has done in trusting Him. And when that is going on, when that has happened, you can't be in the hand of God and Him be such a gentleman that you can jump out of His hand. He's a king. What He has he claims, and he doesn't let it go. You can trust him, even though you see these, this stuff, this valley stuff going on. The righteous will live by faith. What does that look like in day-to-day? 
So faith doesn't stop at conversion. We live by it. We grow in living by faith. What does that look like day to day? The fundamental issue in sin, and, and Philip and I will probably go lunch again and have this debate again. The fundamental issue in sin, the big things are, is it pride or is it unbelief? Yes. Yes. Pride is a form. Pride is. Pride, pride results in unbelief, and unbelief results in pride. It's a will within a will, a mystery within a mystery, a, a, a mystery wrapped in an enigma with a bow of I don't know. So there's this, all this unbelief, I will argue, tips the scale a little bit because I just see the... Anyway, so the sin, the basis of sin probably is unbelief through pride. So there's some heart questions that we have. Am I trusting Jesus? I've trusted Him for salvation. Am I trusting Him in every area of life? Faith alone is not just for salvation. We live it. The righteous will live by His faith. And that, and that permeates every area of life. Do I trust that Christ is sufficient for my joy? Or do I also need to look at these pictures on the web? Is He enough? That's a practical application of faith alone, right? Is He enough? Uh, if you're female, because this wouldn't apply to me, but do I trust that Christ is sufficient for my security or do I need to give a little more to make this guy really like me? Is Jesus enough? Do I trust in the sufficiency of the kindness of Christ that I will give up some me time to those who are hurting? Is He enough? Do I trust that the justice of Christ is sufficient or do I need to harbor anger, resentment, etc., hate, basically, against someone who has offended me? Every area of life, is He enough? And this is the trend line we follow. I'm putting to death the idols of my own heart through faith alone. Trusting that Jesus is enough. He's sufficient to cleanse me when I blow it, and I do often, and to change me day by day by day as I fight the stuff that's in my own heart. I'm not saved by the fighting. I'm freed to fight. Right? I'm not saved by the fighting. I'm freed to fight. Here's one. Do I trust that the freedom of Christ is sufficient such that I can celebrate the liberty and convictions of my conscience without binding everyone else's with things that are not condemned in Scripture? Right? Am I justified by my view on alcohol? Am I justified by my view on this? You know, there are liberty, there's a liberty conscience issue, and I'm hoping in the fall... Lord will and the crick don't rise, that we go through, I'd like to on Wednesday nights go through the second London Confession and talk about the, the Baptist idea of liberty of conscience in that. Not just on that, but I'd like to go through the whole thing. And, uh, but that's a distinctive in, in Baptist life. In our lives, day to day, do we live by faith alone or is trusting in Christ insufficient for us? Yes, He saved me, but He's not enough to help me with my finances. He's not enough for me to trust Him to have wisdom in how to handle money, right? Uh, yeah, He saved me, but He's not enough that I can trust Him that he, whether I'm single or whether I'm married, 
it's all gravy because I'm right before God. I need more. It's the, I, it's the insufficiency of Christ that leads us to the valleys, I think, many times. Is it life changing for us or just another debate point? Do I grasp justification by faith alone to such an extent that it just tr- it, it envelops me, that I can just trust Him? Or is it just something I try to make a notation when I see my Bible so I can throw it at somebody who doesn't agree with that? D- words matter. Doctrine matters. It should transform us. This doctrine should have a radical, humbling, and life-changing implication in which we are growing and moving toward trusting Him alone in every area of life. It's not just a Reformation footnote. This is the way we live. The righteous will live by His faith. That's how we're transformed. All right. Massive monologue this morning. Any comments on that? Any questions? Oh, gosh. Faith is not just... That one. Which, where's this? It's not just a bare intellectual. And faith is the blank, the means of appropriating. Faith is the instrument. Okay. Faith is the instrument, the means of appropriating or taking for our possession justification. Faith is not just bare intellectual assent to the facts of the gospel. It is the faith that results in the person believing and resting on him and his righteousness. Any other uh, yeah, what were the last blank last questions? <laughs> Not justified. We are not justified because we believe. We are justified through belief. Just do it like Madlib. Mad Lib, no. That's how we get aberrant doctrine by treating these blanks as Mad Lib. God changes us in regeneration, sanctification. God declares. You're good. You you have now uh, you have now poured some water into your leaky bathtubs. Because you did the blanks right. Yes. Earlier, we were talking about clarifying terms, and I guess we started with that. But I want to read this very short paragraph and see if you can guess where it comes from, because I think it's amazing. Um, it goes like this. But when the apostle says that man is justified by faith and freely, these words are to be understood, and that in that sense in which the uninterrupted unanimity of the church has held and expressed them, namely that we are therefore said to be justified by faith, because based at the beginning of human salvation, the foundation and root of all justification, without which it is impossible to please God, and to come to the fellowship of his sons, and we are therefore said to be justified gratuitously, because none of these things that precede justification, whether faith or works, merited the grace of justification. For if by grace it is, now, it is not now by works, otherwise, as the apostle says, grace is no more grace. No guesses. Okay, so that's from the Council of Trent, which is basic... Catholic theology, which is written in 1549, and like you read that, and you're a, Ca- a Calvinist would say, "Good hearty, Amen." But What's missing? The rest of the context that that's written in. The word alone. Yeah. Is missing. This is the, the beginning of salvation. Mm-hmm. But like if you read it and in, in just take that as it is, but put it in the context, and then it starts talking about baptism. Right. Right. And that's the and that's the difficulty you have with so it's like exact. Yeah, it is, and and they, like the reformers, the the Catholics also wanted their language to be exact. Yeah, um, they weren't hiding what they're what they're promoting, but it's the same terms that we're using. It's yeah. words matter. Yeah. 
one definition of that. Circles, whether it's the charismatic church or even a Bible church I attended, um, it, it was faith is the beginning of salvation, mm-hmm. but you need to learn to speak in tongues to complete mm-hmm. it. Or, um, you know, you need to actually have a physical baptism to complete it mm-hmm. in the Church of Christ. You need, to, you know, my Methodist friends, well, you can lose your faith. Mm-hmm. If I do something bad, I better hope I'm conscious enough to repent for it mm-hmm. before I die, or I may not go to heaven. Yeah. It's the, it's the faith plus. Yeah. And in Baptist circles, we can yeah. definitely add on things, uh, legalistic things, mm-hmm. moralistic things that make us feel better that mm-hmm. somehow we think we're we're adding to our faith. Right. Um, and we're adding to we're adding to Jesus' work if we're if we're gonna be honest about right. it. Saying that that wasn't enough. Well, you don't do that. <laughs> I just hope you didn't look at your phone before reading your Bible this morning. <laughs> well, as long as you don't use your phone as your Bible, you know, it's kind of it's, yeah, if you don't if you don't if you don't smell the page and feel hear the rustling then it's not quite holy enough. No, it's it's uh, it's silly the things that we get into that we that we it, we would never overtly say that, but we have this undergirding, uh, well, pride and unbelief in the sufficiency of Christ and even these silly things. But um, well, good. It is uh, it is fifteen after, and you guys have been patiently in here since nine o'clock. So, yes. We're gonna eat at Posado. Yes. Afterwards, if anybody wants to come, let us know so we'll know how many seats to get. Yeah. Okay, so this one. Let's pray and we'll finish this conversation. Um, Father, we thank you again um, for for the massive gift we have of faith uh, and faith in Christ. Repentance is a gift that we recognize our sin and fear judgment and want to turn from it is a gift. That we turn to Christ with an empty hand is a gift. From start to finish, it's all of your grace. Lord, would you help us to see that not only is our salvation a receiving passively of your great uh, declaration of righteousness in Christ, but our lives depend upon trusting the sufficiency, the completeness of Christ. Would you move us, Holy Spirit, to challenge the things that we feel compelled are so necessary, food, clothing, uh, cars, uh, whatever. It's dirt, rubbish, Paul would say, compared to trusting and knowing and striving after Jesus. And we're so wrapped up in it. Would you move us again, day by day, to trust Him more? Lord, I thank you for this season. I thank you for this time of year where we again are humbled by the great gift of the eternal God putting on um, temporal flesh to die for wretches like us. And yet you've seen fit to love us as you love your own son because of the foreign righteousness that you've declared in our lives.
I pray that that means something to us. I pray that that transforms us. I pray that that um, quells the selfishness that we so often gravitate toward when we deal with one another and deal with those on the outside. That we would see that after being declared righteous before God, everything else is gravy. Take what you want. Do what you want. Um, Put us through and discipline us the way you see fit because we want to honor you and we want to look like Jesus. Thank you that you do it with a loving hand as a good father does to his children. And it all comes through Jesus. It's all because of him. And it's to him we give glory this morning. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Please leave the pins on the top of the piano. Mm-hmm.